Good, everybody. Welcome to the Gold Diggers podcast, part of the Niners Nation podcast network. I am Rob Stads Guerrera, and normally I'm joined by Michelle Majuk of the NFL Network. But with the combine going on, she is cranking out stuff. She's a researcher for NFL Network, so she couldn't do the show today, but that's okay. We have a very special guest in Michelle's place, Jordan Elliott of Niners Nation, who is at the combine in Indianapolis. Jordan, what's going on? Hey, how's it going, Rob? It's a pleasure to be on. Uh, you know, it's been a, quite the eventful week here in Indianapolis. Yeah, that uh, it's obviously been the dominant news story of the NFL. Uh, before we get going, I want to remind everybody, please rate, review, and follow the Niners Nation Podcast Network. Uh, we have a lot to get to. Um, the big thing last night, I'm on Twitter. I'm putting together 49ers and 5. I'm doing the SB Nation NFL show, and I'm seeing all these wide receivers just bam, 426, 428. Four, two, one. And I'm like, holy hell, this is the fastest group of players I've ever seen. And then like two hours after they run all the 40 yard dashes, the NFL announces the official times, which by the way, we're still crazy fast, just not as fast as we saw. Um, were you at the 40 times for the wide receivers? Did you catch wind of like the change in the times? I was, and it, it seemed too good to be true at the time. Um, I'll admit that I, you know, it was exciting because especially when it looked like um, Thornton out of Baylor had broke the record, you know, that's always yep. something exciting, especially to be there on hand. But um, I thought it was funny. I actually, um, so Chris Olave ran the four two six, and then they had Watson go after. And just based on the eye test watching in person, I'm like, Watson looked faster than Olave. And when they announced the official times later with the corrected times, Watson ended up actually being faster. Mm. So um, it, it, it seemed like there was something slightly off, but I think just the excitement of having three or four guys running in the four twos was just too good to pass up. And, uh, you know, I don't think anybody's really nitpicking in that moment, but uh, yeah, it didn't really come as a surprise that it ended up being a little different. Did any of the athletes look kind of like, I'm fast, but I know I'm not that fast. Or were they all like, hey, great. I just ran a four, two, four or whatever. So I talked to Chris uh, Olave after, and he said that his goal, like I asked, I was like, have you been running in the four twos like this whole time? And he said his goal was, uh, I think, four three or four two nine or something like that. That's what he was really shooting for. So he ended up being, I think, four three nine. But he like, so yeah, he was genuinely surprised when they had announced that it was like four two six. He's like, man, like on my loftiest expectation, I was hoping for four two nine. So I do think there was a little bit of that, but at the same time too, I think there was also an understanding that they uh, had been putting in the work and putting in the time, and they they knew that they were close. But I think again, like it's milliseconds we're talking about here, but right. that that discrepancy of four, three, nine versus four, two, six is like massive when you're talking about the perception of a player. And, you know, there's people I'm seeing on Twitter, you know, moving like a lot of he's a great receiver in his own right, but people have just based off that 40 time are now saying he's the first receiver off the board. And it's like, to me, uh, as, as fun as it is to be here and as great as I think a lot of these measurables are that 40 time really isn't as valuable as that GPS tracking speed that these teams all have, like what, how you run in pads is always going to be more important than how you're running at the combine. But I do think that some of these guys um, are still putting in that work so that they can impress teams when they are out there doing these 40 times. So I would say, yeah, like, I think there was a bit of surprise, but it wasn't where they're like, Oh my God, like something's wrong. Like, I don't think that they thought it was the wrong time. Basically. Like when they announced mm -hmm. the four, two, six, I have zero doubt in my mind that Chris Olavi thought he ran a four, two, six. But um, again, watching, I was like, ah, 
I don't know, man. Watson looked a little bit quicker, so I'm, uh, I'm happy that my eye test hasn't failed me. Well, so I saw the 428 for Watson. And by the way, anybody that doesn't know, Christian Watson is 6'4", 208. And he came out where he, he ran a 428. And I was like, my God, well, there's no chance the 49ers are going to get this guy now. And now, obviously, they changed it a little. It's slightly slower, but still ridiculously fast for somebody that size. Um, do you think the 49ers have a shot at him? Because I, I'm not going to lie. Like, I kind of like the idea of pairing Trey Lance with somebody that he used to throw to in college. Uh, I thought that maybe there was an outside chance they could before this. Now, after this past week, after the senior bowl, I have a hard time seeing him slip out of the early second, mid second range. And unless the 49ers get some miraculous haulback for Jimmy Garoppolo that allows them to uh, get aggressive and trade up, which they've shown they were willing to do in the past for a guy they like, they did that for Pettis a few years back. Um, they did it for Ayuk. So if they are able to add a little bit more draft capital, it wouldn't surprise me because the biggest thing too with Watson is that, um, you know, as you mentioned, there's the familiarity, but he's just, he, he's testing at an insane rate right now. His uh, athlete, uh, sorry, athletic score for guys six, four and over, over the last 15 years was higher than anybody's. And that includes Calvin Johnson. That includes Chase Claypool. He's testing athletically at a level that, uh, you know, Hall of Fame player um, couldn't reach. So does that mean he's going to be Calvin Johnson? No, but it means that there is, uh, there's a lot of measurables there that, that, that really sell this guy as a player to not only the 49ers, but, you know, all these other teams that are here. So I think the fit would be phenomenal and I would be ecstatic to have him. One thing I would say as great as I think Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk and Kittle and these guys are, to me, they've been lacking a guy that's a big contested catch receiver that can go up, high point the ball. And I think with Lance, you'll get more of those opportunities. So I don't think it's impossible, but it also wouldn't surprise me if he goes somewhere between, you know, picks 35, 45 in that range. And you talked to him, right? He said that the 49ers are, are at least meeting with him or interested. He did. Yes, he did confirm that they met with him. That is, oh man, I, I want it to happen. When we had Trey Lance in February, I asked him about him. Of course, he had nothing but good things to say. He knows he's smart enough to play the game. But I don't know. I like the idea of doing that. Like everything this year has to be about making Trey comfortable. And yeah, I think it would be a little nice for him if there was one dude out there that he already had the chemistry with and didn't have to sort of build it up as the year goes on. Yeah, I'm totally with you there. And the other thing I would add from my, uh, my when I spoke with uh, Christian was that when I asked him about, I asked him how he would describe Trey Lance as a leader. They were teammates together for three years. Obviously, they're a very, they have a very close relationship. Um, and what he responded with to me, it wasn't necessarily the words he used. It was the tone in which he said it. Because he said something along the lines of Trey Lance is that guy. Like, he's just, a, he's just that dude. He's the guy that's going to go out and go out and, you know, try and improve every day, not only as a football player, but as a man. And to me, what it came across, it wasn't just a guy playing the game and, you know, boosting up a teammate to try to just, you know, give some kind of cookie cutter response that's going to, you know, make, make him look good for lifting up a teammate. To me, it came across as uh, somebody who had tremendous respect and admiration for somebody. And, you know, I, the way I look at it, it's like if somebody asked me about a friend of mine who I admire and I hold in high regard, I would struggle to adequately find the words to describe them on the spot like that. I would kind of be searching for it. And that's kind of the tone, if that makes sense, that he gave off, where there really is this genuine admiration for not only Trey Lance, the football player, but Trey Lance, the human being himself. And I just think that that kind of uh, sentiment has been echoed by so many people close to him. And as exciting as it is watching him throw darts on the football field, knowing that he is that guy that's going to be in there putting in the work and he's that guy that's going to be a leader and people want to play with has to just really excite 49ers fans. And the other thing, too, is that he's taking over for somebody who, despite 
maybe what the fans think of him is beloved in that locker room. The locker room loves Jimmy Garoppolo. And so to, to have to step into the shoes of someone that in that spot is not an easy thing to do. So it sounds like he's hopefully going to be able to do that. Um, I would assume that Christian Watson would like to play with the 49ers considering who their quarterback is. You've talked to a bunch of the prospects while you've been in Indy. What is kind of the vibe you get from them about the 49ers? So this has probably been the most uh, interesting thing to me about it is that there's been a handful of guys that when I've asked them if they've met with the 49ers, a lot of times these guys will just answer and say, yes, I've met with so-and-so team. Like these guys are meeting with dozens of teams throughout this process. But when you ask about the 49ers, uh, they, they kind of perk up and they have this kind of excitement to them. Today, I just got done um, asking questions. So they had the defensive linemen and edge guys out there and I asked uh, Boya Mafe from the uh, from Minnesota Golden Gophers. I asked him if he'd met with the 49ers. And his response was, yeah, I like that organization a lot. I asked my Jay Sanders, uh, the edge from Cincinnati, the same thing. And he, he came out and right out was like, I had a lot of fun in that meeting. I, I, I like what they're about. Um, they said they really like my game. I had fun there. Um, I asked Alec Lindstrom, the center out of uh, Boston College, how he thought he would fit into Kyle's offense and what he thinks of the 49ers. And immediately he, he perked up on that podium and you could see some enthusiasm in his face and in his, uh, his tone, his overall just demeanor. So I definitely think the 49ers have established themselves as not only, you know, they, they're a all-time team. They're a team that's synonymous with the NFL from their years of success. But a lot of these guys coming out weren't even born when they were winning Super Bowl. So the fact that they're kind of establishing themselves among that younger, gener uh, younger generation, sorry, as a team that is a destination where they want to be, I thought was very refreshing because you, I could tell there were some guys I asked them, okay, have you met with the 49ers? How did it go? And they just kind of were, you know, not really, it just kind of was a, a generic response. But with a handful of these guys, they really were like, it was It was like, yes, like I, I would love to be a San Francisco 49er. I, I love the thought of playing, you know, with a Debo Samuel, a Trent Williams, a George Kittle, uh, Fred Warner. Like they see the talent on the roster. I think they appreciate the coaching staff. And um, I'm not exactly sure who's in each of these meetings, but whoever the 49ers brass sent out to Indianapolis has to just be crushing it in these meetings. Because again, <laughs> what I keep hearing back is that these guys are fun. Like I'm having a great time in these meetings. You got to think, you know, these guys are getting up for meetings at 6 a.m. They're testing through the combine till 11. They're having these, you know, 16, 17 hour days. And for them to come away smiling on this podium saying, hey, I did with those guys, I had a blast. They must be doing something right behind closed doors in those meetings. Well, and that's also why I think that last year was really important for the 49ers, not necessarily getting all the way to the NFC championship game, but just having another year, they won double digit games. They got back to the playoffs. Cause I think that, you know, there's, it's one thing for people to like Kyle Shanahan and think he's really cool and fun and a good offensive guy, but the team, you know, outside of that one year didn't have a ton of success. Now they go back to the playoffs, 10 wins, go to the NFC championship game for the second time in three years. Like it lets, it allows people to be kind of excited about the 49ers because you're thinking now like, okay, they've, they've got their program sort of up and running. So I felt like last year was important from that respect. Yeah, I'm totally with you there. And I think it definitely bought some equity that maybe, uh, you know, nine and eight finished probably wouldn't have, even though it's the same, a lot of the same factors you know the same players that'll be there next season that like that's the response I get from a lot of these guys is they, they want to play with these blue chip players but the perception of you're going to a team that was just on the door of the Super Bowl and maybe you're that piece that's going to get them over the top I think really gets these guys fired up I am waiting obviously like many 49er fans for whatever is going to happen with Jimmy Garoppolo to happen 
do you hear as you walk around there, do you, are, are people talking about the Jimmy Garoppolo trade in hushed tones? Is there like a general vibe that that's what people are talking about? Or is it kind of just business as usual? So I've asked around a couple places here, just walking around the combine. I haven't heard too much about that in particular, but when I've, you know, gone out of my way to ask about it, I have heard that, you know, there are, they are working on a deal and that there are teams who are interested, the exact compensation and the, you know, teams who really are interested. I haven't really gotten that kind of information. It's just a lot of generalized stuff about teams that are looking for quarterbacks pretty much. Uh, I did hear that the 49ers asking price is still rather hefty. So, well, in relative terms, you know, depending on where you view Jimmy Garoppolo, but they are looking, I heard for multiple seconds from one person. Um, I, I've heard that they are still looking for that at least at minimum, you know, a second round pick. I don't know how many teams are really willing to part with that, but it also wouldn't surprise me because Pete Carroll did take the podium a couple of days ago and pretty much come out and say, we're not looking to move Russell Wilson, which again, it could just be posturing. You're not going to come to the podium and just say, Hey, we're looking to deal our franchise quarterback. <laughs> uh, but if a team comes knocking with a, you know, pretty significant trade package, you'd be silly not to listen, no matter who the player is. Uh, same feeling I'm getting from, uh, you know, everybody here covering the Packers and the news on Aaron Rodgers is that, you know, they were pretty confident he's going to come back and be in green Bay. So it's, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo's value in a vacuum doesn't change, but based on the outside settings, like he's still the same player, but based on other players that might be coming off the table, I do think his value has a chance to increase based simply on the fact that the, the when these top end options come off, Jimmy will look more desirable. As of now, if a team thinks they can land a Russell Wilson or an Aaron Rodgers, I'm not surprised at all that they're not running to go cough up a second round pick for Jimmy Garoppolo. But as we get closer towards um, the season, and through the draft process, I do think that there will be teams that will eventually do it based simply on the fact that I'm not particularly blown away with this quarterback class. I love Malik Willis, but he's also a guy that I think needs time to develop and is kind of raw. So I could even see a team taking Jimmy and eating that 25 million for one season, having Willis or a player like that as a bridge guy. But I don't really see, it's not like last year where I'm seeing multiple starters who could come in right away in this rookie class. So I just think the outside factors will ultimately propel this Jimmy Garoppolo trade. And so much of this is dependent on those pieces falling into place before John Lynch and that front office can also uh, ultimately, you know, make a deal finalized. I have said that I thought he could be, he would be traded by the end of the combine and definitely by the start of the league year. What do you think? You know, I would have agreed with you a couple days ago, Rob, but I don't know about you. I'm a little thrown off by the whole announcement of surgery and the mm -hmm. fact that, you know, John Lynch came to the podium and, you know, he was pretty blunt. He's like, we had no idea. This kind of blindsided <laughs> us. And while he did say that, you know, he doesn't want to downplay any injury and that it is, you know, every medical procedure is something that you should have concern with. He did say that it wasn't something where they were overly concerned about the rehab and it, it like affecting him down the road. He just wouldn't be throwing for a while. But I did find it very curious that this was kind of uh, kept under wraps for so long. And then as the entire league is in one place at one time and as these deals and conversations are unfolding, Adam Schefter drops his bomb that Jimmy Garoppolo is getting shoulder surgery and won't be available to throw for three and a half months. Right. Jimmy Garoppolo waited a month and still hasn't had the surgery yet. Turns out, hey, Jimmy Garoppolo's got an agent and he knows what he's doing, right? Because Don Yee wants Jimmy to get released so that Jimmy could sign a new contract that has some guaranteed money in it and where Jimmy can pick his next destination. And, and I don't blame Jimmy Garoppolo for that or his agent. That's exactly what they should do. But I brought that up on Twitter and, and people came at me with torches and pitchforks like I was some crazy conspiracy theorist guy. It's like, no, this isn't hard to see.
Yeah, it's just, you know, at the end of the day, there are coincidences in this world, but the timing is just far too, you know, suspicious to think that it just happened to fall. Just like you mentioned, they, they haven't been playing for a month and it just felt like it was a situation where it was a strict, you know, that's part of this business. You know, there's a strategic yep. leaking of information. There's a strategic placing of information. And it's not just by chance when these news stories get released, there's usually a reason why. So I tend to agree that there, I do think there was some, you know, kind of strategic plan behind that being released when it was. Speaking of strategy, there's all all kinds of strategy when it comes to who teams meet with, who they talk to, who they don't talk to. Uh, have you gotten a sense while you were there of some potential targets for the 49ers at 61? Because, you know, somebody like me, I don't watch college football during the year. 49ers don't have a first round pick. So I don't know any of these guys. Can you give me a couple names that I should start to study up on? Yeah, so I think that they will ultimately go uh, edge at that position. I think they're still <laughs> going to address that D-line, which I know people are probably getting sick of. But I do think that it has... Um, brought them a relative amount of success in the two seasons where they were, you know, had a healthy quarterback and had most of the roster intact. So it's hard to argue with the results. So two guys that I spoke with today and I mentioned earlier that I would definitely keep an eye on is Boya Mafe out of Minnesota. Um, he said the 49ers met with him. He really liked them. They had a mutual interest there. Uh, he's very athletic, a guy that they could definitely get in that room with Chris Kosarek and the rest of those guys on the defensive line and could potentially form a, uh, you know, just devastating pass rushing duo with Nick Bosa. Uh, My Jay Sanders is another guy who I think that could fit that mold of that pass rusher. You could have opposite Bosa. You bring him in on a rookie deal for a few seasons. So you could end up getting some top flight production while not breaking the bank because you do have to pay Nick Bosa the 30 plus million he might make. Uh, you have to pay Debo Samuel the hefty contract that he is uh, more than deserved. So those would be the two guys that I'm definitely circling back on now at 61. Uh, you know, we haven't had a chance to speak with the defensive backs yet. That's tomorrow. I know everybody wants to know what the quarterbacks are doing because cornerback is the, the position that everybody wants them to go at 61. So we'll definitely get a sense of where they kind of have been, you know, scoping around here this week tomorrow. Just unfortunately, we haven't had a chance to meet one-on-one -on -one with the uh, uh, defensive backs. Edge would be frustrating, but I also understand the temptation from the 49ers standpoint, because it's like, if you have a dominating pass rush, it's so much easier on your secondary and clearly it's a passing league now. So that's definitely something you would want. And I imagine the feeling for Lynch and Shanahan and all those guys is like, we don't have to draft another Nick Bosa. We've got Nick Bosa. You've got Bosa. You've got Armstead now moving over to the inside. We just have to be able to draft a guy that can win his one-on-one -on -one matchup because he's never getting double teamed. So I could see them looking edge and being like, as long as this guy is not a potato, He's going to be pretty good and he's going to be cheap for, you know, four years. And that's, that's the nail on the head there, Rob. That's exactly where I think they're at too. And I think, you know, D Ford was a, a sensational player for a period of time there. So I don't want to take anything away from him, but you, you basically just described the success they had with him where D Ford was getting those one-on-one -on -one matchups. He was able to get out in that nine tech spot in the wide nine. And he was a just freak athlete that had that tremendous ability to have bed around the edge, uh, win that one-on-one -on -one matchup. Uh, we know that Nick Bosa is going to command that attention. And then when you have these uh, just, you know, man eaters in Javon Kinlaw or, you know, DJ Jones, if he comes back next to Eric Armstead inside, 
whoever is on that opposite edge spot is probably going to have favorable matchups and going to get those one-on-one opportunities. And if the 49ers are able to identify a guy where even if they're slightly raw right now, they need a little bit of refining. They have a tremendous group that's going to mask any early deficiencies and they have the best D line coach in the business and Chris Kosarek. So that to me is where they're at. Because one thing John Lynch did note, and I think the feeling here is that it's not just him, it's the consensus among a lot of the personnel executives that we've spoken to and heard from here, is that while this draft may not be overly top-heavy the way the la- uh, last year's draft was, it's much deeper as you get into the second, third, and fourth rounds where the 49ers have the majority of their picks. So I do think that they're kind of looking at these guys that could be, you know, higher second round even late first round talents other drafts but because it's so deep at edge and it's so deep at some of these positions the wide receiver class is very deep you might get the chance at 61 to add an impact player who could make an impact from day one based simply on the way that this draft is unfolding in terms of depth we talked about the wide receivers earlier i think at some point kyle shanahan is going to draft a wide receiver because let's face it they flat out need some to fill out the roster why not draft a guy in a deep draft who's going to be cheap do you have any potential names? I know we talked about Watson. Obviously, that's that would be something that would require some circumstances to pull off. But I'm sure they have some wide receiver targets there. Is there someone that jumped out to you? Yes, Khalil Shakur from Boise State is somebody that I definitely think would be a great fit with them. I think he's somebody that uh, just fits what they do really well. And I think that they could grab him somewhere in that day two range uh, where you know there, there is not a significant investment and it's not you know he's not gonna have the pressure to come out and produce from day one but he could complement that group they already have that's very good and I think ultimately the biggest thing too is while I do think that Trey Lance is more than capable of operating the offense they ran and operating from under center out of 21 22 personnel he also has a cannon you got to let the kid you know flourish just like you mentioned earlier you got to put him in a position where he's going to be in the best spot to succeed and I think ultimately they're going to transition to more 11 personnel looks which would have three wide receivers and it's no knock on Jaywan Jennings but I do think that adding a fourth receiver with that dynamic skill set that potentially could evolve into uh, you know, a three-headed monster with Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk would be extremely beneficial. So he's a guy I really like. I really do like Thornton out of Baylor too. He ran that 40 time. That was the record for about an hour and a half and then it got <laughs> adjusted. Um, it's really funny. You know, I was actually sitting there and I was talking to a gentleman in the stands were watching and he's like, Hey, I got to go close. I got to go watch this guy's 40. He's really fast. He's a trainer who's worked with some of these guys. And sure enough, he goes down there and this guy breaks the 40. I'm like, Oh, Hey, he wasn't lying. You know, he, he's got his pulse on the right guy. The reason why I mentioned Thornton is I think the 49ers have been lacking that true top end, uh, top flight speed since they lost uh, Marquise Goodwin. And I do think that that kind of player is somebody that Kyle Shanahan does covet in this offense. He had Taylor Gabriel in Atlanta. He had Travis Benjamin as recently as this past season. And having somebody that, you know, before it was kind of like to take the top off the defense to throw underneath, which you could still do. But Trey Lance also has the ability and has shown the willingness to take shots downfield. And I think Kyle Shanahan is kind of at the spot now where he's been handcuffed for so long by, frankly, a quarterback that either was unable or unwilling to do that, that now it's kind of the time to dive headfirst and to drafting and developing a roster that's going to take advantage of this quarterback with this tremendous arm talent and sending three, four receivers downfield, having vertical threats. So I would like to see them add a guy that has that speed. And then on the other side, 
I feel like they've lacked a dynamic returner in the return game. Oh, so I do think <laughs> it feels like since Ted Ginn is where I always go yep. back to that they've had a guy that really is just a threat. So it would be nice to see them add a guy that could add that special teams ability where even if they're just a fourth receiver coming in and they're getting that spot duty as a guy that's running these clear out routes and running these vertical routes, if you can do that and be a weapon in the return game, I would have no problem with them spending, you know, their third round pick, one of those compensatory picks that's falling just at the end of the third round. Like, I think that would be a tremendous investment given how unexplosive the kick return game has been in the last few years. Oh, I would love to just somebody that can give me something. Could we not have Debo Samuel have to return kicks? That'd be nice. Just, I'm just saying, um, you mentioned kind of a transition with the offense and that's sort of after the draft last year, I was like, man, they drafted, Aaron Banks, he's kind of a bigger guy. They drafted another offensive lineman. They drafted Trey Sermon. I kind of expected that the offense that Kyle Shanahan wants to run with Trey Lance is more of a, some outside zone, of course, but a lot more power, a lot of kind of inside running type of thing. And that would be a big transition for the offense. Do you get that feeling as well? I do. And it, it makes more sense. You know, I actually spoke with uh, Brandon Thorne, who if anybody isn't familiar with his work, he's phenomenal when it comes to offensive line stuff. To me, he's the ultimate authority I rely on when it comes to offensive line play. And I asked him what he thought about that Aaron Banks pick and how he felt about Aaron Banks. And, you know, quickly I'll say to appease 49ers fans, hopefully, he did say that he still believes in Aaron Banks as a starter. He thinks that he had a third round grade, he thought on him uh, last year. He had to double check, but he's like, I think he's a starter in this league. I think he could be a solid player. But he did mention that the fit didn't really make sense to him based on the outside zone running that Kyle had been doing for years leading up to that, but that if they were transitioning to more gap, more power stuff, that it would make sense. So the way I look at things, and it's kind of a generalized view, but, you know, Kyle Shanahan said he wants a guy that can, you know, throw like Drew Brees and run like Lamar. Um, I do think that he's incorporated a lot of the same stuff this past season in those Trey Lance starts that we've seen from Greg Roman with that Ravens offense. And he obviously has done a lot of things that he's had uh, from his own coaching tree and his own offensive philosophy. So to me, the way I look at what Kyle's trying to do is I think he's trying to find a perfect blend of that kind of 2016 offense he had in Atlanta uh, during Matt Ryan's MVP season and kind of meshing that with that 2019 so you get that play action, you get that under center offense, you get the deep shots from the receivers, but you also have this dynamic running game that integrates a lot of power, a lot of gap stuff. You have a lot of design stuff for the QB where you're running counter bash and letting Trey Lance get out in space behind blockers. So to me, that would kind of be the ideal marriage. You take that 2016 Falcons offense, that 2019 Ravens offense, and create some kind of hybrid with Kyle Shanahan and that offensive staff kind of, you know, adding their own twist to it. Oh, I'm so here for that. I really hope that that's what we get to see. Plus, I think it would be good because, you know, Kyle's offense is now pretty common around the league. He's certainly, obviously, Kyle's been running it himself in San Francisco for five years. I think you need the offense to sort of evolve a little bit. Otherwise, it gets stale and defenses sort of catch up. So I think this is the perfect time for the 49ers to kind of switch things up a little bit just because the Shanahan slash McVay coaching staffs now are so prevalent around the league that this is not as new and uncharted territory for defenses as it once was. I agree completely. And I think we saw that over the last couple of seasons, you know, in 2019, they were able to get by. Like, this is the biggest thing to me is that I felt like Jimmy Garoppolo as the person who's the most important player on that offense at the quarterback position didn't really change too much from 2019 to now, but what happened was defenses started to adjust and they started to realize if you're able to get the, you know, set the edge on those outside zone runs and you pretty much commit to stopping those, uh, 
intermediate and shallow routes over the middle of the field, the odds of you getting beat deep outside the numbers probably wasn't happening. And I thought that, uh, you know, it's not as much that Kyle didn't really evolve as a play caller or a play designer. I just don't think he had the tools until now to change. And I think that's what heavily factored into the decision to take Trey Lance is that you can only get by for so long with a quarterback whose skill set is going to be limited in a way that defensive coordinators can not only catch up, but pretty much handcuff your offense if you're unable to run the football. So I agree with you. I think that that is something that has kind of flown under the radar, especially this past season, because they were still winning games. But if you go look through the playoffs, they were winning games because that defense was on just a historic clip, it felt like for a while. And the offense really was going through spurts where they were unable to move the ball and unable to get things going. And I think a lot of that really does have to do with the fact that when you're you're unable to scheme past a quarterback's deficiencies at a certain point, it's going to catch up to you. And that's ultimately what it felt like. And the fact that, to be honest with you, they made it to two NFC championship games in three years, given those deficiencies, I think is a testament to how good Kyle Shanahan is. But I think he knows that if he wants to ultimately get over the uh, hill and win that Lombardi trophy, you're going to need to switch things up a bit. You're going to need, even if Trey Lance is a phenomenal quarterback, it's better to integrate and be, you know, um, diversified with your thinking. A hundred percent. You know, I feel like a lot of the big plays that the 49ers had last year, came from the physical effort of the players on the field. Debo breaking three tackles, George Kittle breaking tackles, Ayuk running around people. It'd be nice to get back to just getting some scheme to open big plays as well, and hopefully the Niners do that. Uh, last question I have for you. I saw that you uh, caught up with Robert Griffin III. First of all, how did you track him down? Has he lost a lot of foot speed? And second of all, what did you talk to him about? So that's, that's funny. I was actually down uh, on the field after the uh, wide receivers were wrapping up last night. And, uh, you know, I was talking to Chris Olave. I watched a bunch of his tape last year when we were going through this whole quarterback fiasco because I was watching Justin Fields. And I'm like, man, Chris Olave is a really good player. So I was just talking to him for a little bit, you know, um, and uh, I saw Robert Griffin III walk up. And, you know, for me, I'm a younger guy. I'm 26. So, you know, when I was younger, RG3 was winning the Heisman. I used to play the NCAA uh, 13, 14 uh, yes. with him. He was he was a dynamic guy. I did mention that to him. It was kind of funny. I'm like, hey, man, I used to run up the score with you. You, you know, you're, you're all time for me. So I ended up talking to him a little bit about that. And then, you know, I figured as somebody who has been a young dynamic quarterback, uh, that heavy draft capital was invested into it and played under Kyle Shanahan, he'd be the perfect guy to ask about Trey Lance. So I just thought, you know, Hey, like, you know, can I just get some candid thoughts on Trey Lance and where you think he is? And he pretty much said, you know, we don't really have enough to go off of. So you're not going to catch me coming out and saying that he's not good enough to play right now, or that I don't think he's ready. I'm not going to annoy him, but I'm also not going to sit here and trash him. And I think he was kind of making a not so subtle reference to some comments, which I'm sure plenty of 49ers fans are familiar with, where we're seeing in national media that it seems like Trey Lance is catching strays every other day on some sort of talk show. <laughs> um, and uh, he wrapped it up by saying something that I thought was very interesting. He said that if Trey Lance gets that opportunity and Jimmy's, you know, gone, I think it's going to be fireworks. And when he used the word fireworks, I think that, you know, whatever the differences may have been with his time in uh, Washington and his time with uh, Mike and Kyle Shanahan, he's acutely aware of how special this offense can be with a dynamic player. And he said too, one thing that I thought was very interesting. He said from everything that he's heard, Trey Lance has it upstairs in terms of cerebral ability as much as he does the physical talent. And that's something that was very refreshing to hear because so many of these people are eager to come out and tell how their sources are saying they don't think he's ready or they don't think he's this. And I thought it was very refreshing to hear from Robert Griffin that he said, no, from what I hear, not only is the guy legit with arm talent, he has that mental ability. He has that football IQ. He's a smart football player. And I think he's going to be a very talented NFL player.
Yeah, so far we've heard from RG3 that he has the ability. Joe Montana is saying that he's not ready. Jay Glazer is saying he makes wild play. Like, we have literally heard everything that we can hear about Trey Lance's abilities, good and bad. And I feel like that's just, that's what comes from only having 10 quarters of experience. Hopefully next year, obviously, we get to see a fuller picture once he takes over for Jimmy G. Jordan, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. I know you're meeting a zillion people down there. You're talking to every player. You're going to all the media availability. Thank you for hopping in for Michelle. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Rob. Anytime. You can follow Jordan on Twitter at Splash Cousin. One of the best Twitter handles out there, by the way. Enjoy your weekend, everybody. We will talk to you on Monday unless Jimmy Garoppolo gets traded. And then we'll be, we will be live on the Niners Nation Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter page to break it all down. Have a good one.